This is a 3CR community radio podcast. In Psychedelia is broadcast every Sunday from 2pm. For more info on anything you hear in the show, head to 3cr.org.au and follow the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Good afternoon and welcome to In Psychedelia on this Sunday afternoon where I found out both sides of the city, north and south, are having their uh, various uh, favourite road festival. Sydney Road Fest is on this afternoon in the north and Glen Ferry Road Fest um, is on in the south. So if you're looking for something to do this afternoon or if you're just driving around, tuned into 3CR as, uh, well, I like to do, uh, then, you know, head along to one of the uh, street road fests and Get in touch with your local community. This is In Psychedelia. My name is Nick. Uh, on the show uh, this afternoon, we're going to be talking about some local issues because there have been a number of local issues uh, coming up. But before we get stuck into that, it is International Women's Day all-day broadcast this Wednesday, the 8th of March. Uh, so please tune in for a day of um, supporting a number of uh, w- uh, specifically women's shows. Um, I actually don't have a list of the various shows that are going to be on there, but I understand uh, that there will be... Uh, all focused on women's issues. That's this uh, Wednesday, the 8th of March, all day on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Also the place to go if you want to find out more information about the show before us, Freedom of Species. Thanks, guys. Uh, there, are plenty, there are plenty more information on the website. Uh, you can also find uh, lots of info on their own website, freedomofspecies.org. And uh, while you're on the 3CR website, head to the In Psychedelia program page where you can uh, find our podcast. Find a little bit more information as well. We do post um, some special information on our own website, uh, some blogs, some information about the upcoming, or the upcoming, as in upcoming, the submissions end on the 17th of March for the Victorian. Uh, inquiry into drug law reform, which is accepting submissions from members of the public right now. If you want information, the Encyclopedia website is the place to go. Uh, as I said, it's going to be local issues this afternoon, but we're going to get stuck into some news first. Encyclopedia news of the week. I don't condone or advocate that everyone should use illicit drugs. I think it's a, a huge decision made with the right amount of research and forethought. The intention is to discourage ICE use. The actual effect is it encourages the stigmatisation of people who use this drug. The risk there is people are less likely to disclose their use even when they're experiencing some issues. So they're less likely to access essential health services. The potential for harm increases. People feel hesitant to be open about who they are because they're afraid of judgment from family members or people at work or or just people in society in general. Many of them have conservative mindsets regardless of their politics uh, and will just say oh well then the, the, the government are not looking after us and therefore it seems a law and order issue rather than a a social problem that needs to be dealt with on, on a public health basis. Drug news from Melbourne and around the world. There's been a bit of news on medical cannabis around Australia this week. Um, one of the things that's uh, been talked about was former Australian of the Year psychiatrist Pat- Patrick McGorry has been uh, received some funding to lead up uh, a study into children with anxiety and severe mental health issues using uh, a type of medical cannabis product to uh, 
trial testing whether that has some effect. Um, the money has come through the Lambert initiative, uh, and I think we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the show, Alan Lambert was the person who donated over $30 million through Sydney University, I believe, for medical cannabis research in Australia. So one thing that Australia is doing right in terms of medical cannabis is actually supporting scientific research through the federal level, and this is the beginning of seeing that start to flow through into actual research. Uh, staying on local issues, uh, I thought it would be prudent to touch on the Victorian Drugs Inquiry again. As I said, uh, the uh, submissions are due by the 17th of March, that's uh, Friday, I believe, uh, and members of the public are, it, well, it's open to members of the public, it's open to organisations, and you don't have to live in Victoria to make a submission. So if you do know somebody uh, overseas, or if you have uh, friends within businesses or research organisations or anything like that, um, please do um, uh, get in touch with them and ask them if they can make a submission to the Victorian Drugs Inquiry, especially somebody or anybody that has any specific knowledge about how uh, different uh, programs of regulation or of uh, decrease criminalisation have worked overseas or in other jurisdictions. Um, and uh, the important thing as well is, even if you're not somebody that knows one of these people, but you have a personal story to tell, write something into, into the submission because uh, Member of Parliament um, and President of the Australian Sex Party, Fiona Patton, uh, mentioned that the uh, youth and, oh, the end of life choices inquiry had a lot of personal stories and that really helped to contextualise the debate. Uh, so personal stories are very important. It really helps uh, to, to add some colour to an otherwise rather academic uh, discussion. Uh, Ash. Uh, so more medical cannabis news. Here in Victoria, 29 children with severe epilepsy are going to receive <laughs> access to medicinal cannabis products after the government uh, signed off all the things they need to sign off on and Im imported some products from Canada. So the, the state's actual uh, internal production of cannabis, they have harvested their first crop and they're on their way to producing some medical products, which should be coming out about middle of this year but this was a way of kind of fast tracking it for these kids with like a severe illness so that they could get access sooner uh i'm just waiting on some internet uh, do you have another story <laughs> yeah i've got another one so there's another there was another article and i do forget where it was published i'm just kind of going off my head on this one about south australia and the difficulty that they're having in rolling out their medical cannabis scheme. It's, it's been a bit of a hodgepodge right across the, um, the country in terms of how different governments are choosing to set up the regulatory framework. And the consistent thing that's been happening is basically a lack of patient access. And in some jurisdictions on top of that is sort of hunting out people that are supplying it in the illicit market and really going after them. And that's something that's happened a bit in South Australia while there's people out there calling for access to this kind of medicine that want to do it in a legal way they're just not able to kind of get across the line yet um uh, 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 there was a story that came out of independent.co.uk over in the UK about the ADF, uh, not the Australian Defence Force, but the Ayahuasca Defence Fund, a fund that's been set up by uh, a number of uh, legal professionals to uh, support uh, those who use ayahuasca for religious or sacramental spiritual purposes um, in the US and other parts of the world uh, as well. Uh, the article is an interview with one of the lawyers who is uh, fighting for people who use ayahuasca 
Ayahuasca for these purposes. Um, and the sorts of things that they uh, run up against, Ayahuasca contains uh, one, if not more, depending on which country you're in, uh, highly scheduled, like, prohibited substances, DMT being, being the main one, but also harmaline, I think, sometimes gets uh, wrapped up in there as well. Uh, and uh, people can receive pretty serious charges for that. Um, it's a uh, substance that a lot of people use, though, for sort of personal divination or uh, to access mystical uh, uh, states of consciousness, uh, and people have reported finding it a, a very worthwhile pursuit. Um, so that's that's uh, what's going on. The Ayahuasca Defence Fund you can find on Facebook. You can also find uh, their website if you just look up Ayahuasca Defence Fund. Um, uh, if you want any more information about any of the stories we're talking about, also the Encyclopedia Facebook page is to, the place to check out. So heading overseas, um, a little bit of an update on some of the things happening in the Philippines. Um, the I, I'm not sure if we did cover it last week, but Senator Leila de Lima, who's been the the main politician that's been speaking out against the Duterte regime's extrajudicial killings of um, suspected drug suspects. Uh, she's been arrested. And um, look, I just want to say that like, she's like my hero in politics right now. She's continuing to threaten the government from jail, uh, writing such articles as uh, such handwritten pieces of paper that have been passed out saying that there will come a time where they have to face up to what they've done. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, but basically calling them out, saying people are watching and your time will come. Um, the UN, uh, United Nations International Narcotics Control Board, um, generally seen as one of the institutions that helps coordinate the war on drugs, also helps governments, you know, sort of figure out legislation around that kind of thing. In their recent report, they um, have actually highlighted what's happening in the Philippines as a poor direction and basically called them out. And we are coming up to, in just under two weeks, I think, the um, Commission on Narcotics Drugs, which meets in Vienna each year to discuss international things around drugs. And it looks like uh, discussing what the international community is going to do in response to what's happening in the Philippines will be on the agenda. So let's hope so. Crossing over to uh, China now, China being the uh, manufacturing source of a number of novel psychoactive substances which have uh, spread across the world. Um, and my understanding, and this is a, a, a very basic understanding, um, but my understanding is that China um, has difficulty in regulating um, all the industries across the country. And I, I, my understanding is also that they don't have the same sort of um, uh, the same ethics that we do in regulation of uh, products, uh, especially around copywriting, for example. So there's not a lot of uh, respect for copywriting laws, uh, and so that's why you end up with a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, bootleg uh, type products from from China. Uh, but uh, China has been the source, uh, or one of the main uh, cited sources, of a uh, highly potent um, synthetic opioid called carfentanil, uh, which has been spotted in uh, uh, I think Western Australia and Queensland, um, it's popped up. Uh, so carfentanil is uh, gives people an opioid-like uh, high, uh, but it's it's uh, rather potent from from my understanding. So it's a, a 
people throw out figures like 10,000 times stronger, but I'm not exactly sure where they pull these numbers from. I think it sounds more like rhetoric, uh, but it is very strong. It has led to um, more overdoses, especially if somebody uh, expects to be getting something like uh, heroin and they end up with carfentanil. Carfentanil um, ex- much stronger and can quickly lead to an overdose. But China's uh, Ministry of Public Service has said that they will be banning carfentanil along with three other similar drugs uh, as of March 1st. So it's a uh, four days into this ban. Uh, another one of those drugs is uh, named U47700, uh, just for a real sexy name there, um, which is another um, synthetic opioid uh, which has been um, marketed uh, to replace various other uh, synthetic opioids that are out there. Uh, so um, China and the Office of uh, the National Narcotics Control Committee have said that they will be cracking down on it and they will be presenting strong deterrence against those who manufacture and distribute it. Interesting stuff. Don't know stuff. what those deterrents are. Yeah, but <laughs> we'll see, I guess. Um, there was an interesting one that caught my eye this week. Uh, one of the interns from the Australian Taxpayers Alliance, generally quite a conservative organisation, has written a piece for The Spectator, which is generally quite a conservative publication, titled Why We Shouldn't Be Afraid of Pill Testing. Um, and it covers a lot of the ground that we've spoken about frequently on the show, but it does also highlight the fact that it's one of those topics that really... There's a real alliance between, I guess, the political left and some aspects of the political right on the issue, and that doesn't always happen. And, um, yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting article that kind of highlighted that that fact that there is broad support from very different uh, ends of the political spectrum on some of these drug reform issues. Uh, I've got a, um, a complicated question which requires years of research for you to answer. Uh, will Nangs kill you, Ash? <laughs> will Nangs kill you? Mm-hmm. Well... I can't say that on it. Um, it all depends on the dose and method of administration, I expect. Uh, well, this was the question that Vice asked this week. Will Nangs kill you? And they uh, looked into Nangs being the uh, specifically Aussie uh, colloquial term for nitrous oxide uh, coming in everything from small uh, whipped... Uh, uh, well, uh, cylinders that are meant to be used for whipping cream and uh, uh, milk in coffee um, uh, to larger tanks, which are usually used in things like ice cream trucks or for other uh, food preparation purposes. Uh, so uh, Vice had a look into it. Um, they, they, uh, I, I personally, there's, there's been, an, there is actually an psychedelic article um, up there as well on will Nangs kill you? Nangs can cause damage to people. And I did find a couple of examples of people who had managed to cause damage to themselves from inhaling too much nitrous oxide. When you look at the amounts uh, that they have to inhale to cause this damage, it is rather exorbitant. I'm talking sort of 100 to 200 um, little canisters uh, per day uh, on a consistent basis for months on end. And when these people do that, they can get things like, um, I think it's uh, B12 uh, deficiency and B12 deficiency leads to nerve damage. So people can give themselves nerve damage, um, which can uh, escalate into far worse situation. So yes, NANGs can cause damage and you can die if you don't breathe oxygen, which we tried to explain to somebody on the Australian... um uh, on the Australian uh, harm reduction group on Facebook, uh, 
uh, somebody was saying, oh, well, yeah, of course Nangs can kill you because if, if people don't breathe, then they die. And um, we, we were very carefully, very cautiously trying to explain that it's actually the lack of oxygen that kills you. And then they tried to make a comparison saying, oh, yeah, but, you know, if somebody takes heroin, then they don't really die from heroin. They die because they, like, stop breathing. And I said, yeah, but that's a direct physiological result of the opiate. Uh, so it's quite different to if you just don't breathe oxygen. If you don't breathe oxygen, you're dying from asphyxiation. That's what you're dying from. Nangs don't cause you to not breathe ox oxygen. It just, it, you need to remember to breathe oxygen, which is, you know, <laughs> you should know that. You're a human being. Uh, most animals um, on this planet uh, instinctively know to breathe air. Uh, remember to do that. So, yeah, uh, Nang's unlikely to kill you, but there are risks with all of these sorts of things, and it's important to take those into consideration. Uh, even our friend uh, Dr. Gordian Fould from uh, St. Uh, Vincent's Hospital in Sydney um, said it was unlikely uh, to uh, do much damage. But this is a guy from the medical profession who, who we know secretly uh, have, a, uh, has, have a taste for nitrous oxide. And <laughs> for about 200 years or so. Um, switching over to the United States, there's there's been, obviously there's a new administration, there's been a lot of uh, regulatory reforms uh, passed by ballot initiatives in the last election cycle. So there's a lot going on there. <clears throat> so I'll try and just cover broadly some of the, the developments. The, um, the new Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, made some statements uh, last week um, tying cannabis to violence, which he was widely ridiculed for, um, I, th I think he accidentally made an, an argument for uh, legal regulated markets when he sort of mentioned that people couldn't uh, resolve any disputes about money uh, in the illicit market without violence. And I'm like, well, that's an argument that I use. <laughs> <laughs> Good argument for regulation, um, that one. <laughs> so there was, a lot of, there was a lot of talk in the media and particularly around people following what's happening in the cannabis markets there about what that meant for the legal regulated markets. Um, you know, and, and a lot of people started to get concerned. There were, you know, certain headlines about the pot market getting paranoid and all those kind of cliches. Um, but I think at the end of the day, right now, where things sit in the United States, it's unlikely that there'll be big actions against um, any particular states. There's, there's a couple of reasons. Generally, the, the federal government has relied on states to enforce um, laws, like personal possession and, and uh, use laws are state-based and it would be impossible for the government to police them from a federal level anyway. They don't have the resources for that, so they rely on the states for that. So that one's out already. That's unlikely to, to make a difference. Um, the other thing that's in play here is, is the United States. It's, it's a very different kind of democracy. There's a big uh, contingent of the population and the body politic that's very much about states' rights. Um, so there's already a pushback on the, on those grounds, and Jeff Sessions, the Eternal Attorney General, has already kind of walked back his statements a little bit about coming down on the cannabis market there. Um, the the other thing that's in play, there's 28 states now that have some kind of medicinal uh, regulated market, or um, I think it's the eight or so that have recreational markets. There's actually a, a cannabis caucus within Congress now. Mm -hmm. So these people have gotten together and formed, I, I guess, like a, a bit of a... A, a political Cross, union around it. Cross-partisan as well? I, I believe so, because not all of the states are... They, they fall in yeah. different... Um, you know, along different party lines. So I, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I, it would be very hard to imagine that it wouldn't be mm. bipartisan. 
Um, so that there's going to be pushback on those grounds as well. And, you know, like, I just don't think it's feasible. I, I, you know, it's a big distraction for a government that's less popular than cannabis is. So um, I think those concerns are overblown. Mm. Something that has happened in Colorado is they're trying to bring in legislation to restrict home growing uh, regulation. So they're kind of tightening up the market and, okay. and very much shuffling it through that regulated business kind of model. Uh, back at home for a uh, a different kind of psychoactive substance that uh, slips under the radar, but we have been bringing it up here and in psychedelia a bit, uh, nicotine, and specifically nicotine being used in e-cigarettes. Uh, earlier this year, the TGA made an interim decision, the TGA being the Therapeutics Good Ad- Goods Administration, our body that regulates uh, drugs and uh, medicines and therapeutic goods uh, more generally and broadly um, across Australia. Uh, they had an application before them to regulate uh, nicotine in small amounts uh, to be sold and used in e-cigarettes to be a competitive alternative to tobacco uh, in their interim decision uh, uh, of which they received a a number of submissions, 71 public submissions of which 76% of those or three quarters of those were supporting the need for reform. The TGA still decided against the uh, regulation of nicotine for e-cigarettes and the Tobacco Harm Reduction Now uh, or T thrnow.com uh, have written a bit uh, of information about what's going on. Uh, the TGA will be releasing their final decision at the end of this month, unlikely to be uh, anything much of a change. Um, but at the same time as we're seeing uh, a crackdown against uh, uh, against the vaping community and against those who wish to move away from tobacco and towards vaping, something which is uh, largely said by uh, experts overseas at least, and um, experts that don't work within anti-smoking organisations in Australia, um, seeing it as a uh, a less harmful alternative than tobacco. I don't like to say safe because there are harms associated with this activity, um, just as there probably are with drinking coffee or drinking too much caffeine. Um, but um, not, to, not to just say that they're the, the same sort of thing. But uh, uh, at the same time as we're seeing that, I also saw an article this week, I think it might have been in The Age or The Herald Sun, um, talking about uh, the poorer smokers, those who smoke and don't have much money, um, uh, who are foregoing food in order to contribute to their tobacco budget. And I actually spoke to a a good friend of mine recently whose um, close relative um, is doing exactly that. And she won't give up the smokes. Uh, She refuses to. And it's very frustrating for my friend, as as it can be very frustrating. But is it really a better thing to force people into a position where even though they're making a frustrating decision, perhaps it is still their decision, and now you're forcing them into a position where they're going to opt out of eating good food in in favour of their, their smoking addiction. Yeah, yeah, I've come across people, you know, lots of people around in, in my life that, that have faced similar decisions, maybe not to the, the point of food, but certainly other things that they forego to pay for the ever-increasing tobacco. You know, and, and the calculation there from a public health perspective just doesn't seem to have the right kind of nuance to it you know they, they just measure the people that have quit smoking and consider that a public health good um not really considering the harm that they might be doing 
to other people, like at the lower end of the socioeconomic scale in particular. I wonder if there is some kind of, uh, in, in the social studies, and maybe this is something for you to think about at home or in your car, wherever you are, but uh, if there's some kind of field of social studies that looks um, at this and why um, certain agencies, organisations or individuals will continue down a path, even though it seems like, and continue down it um, even more aggressively, even though it seems that there are significant questions arising um, about that path and whether it is... Um, Valid? Is there some kind of? Do people just get locked into a process? Is there a pride issue? Is there something more complex at at play? Well, it's. I mean, it's hard to say. Like with the e-cigarette thing, you, you saw the United States Surgeon General release a report late last year, which was, you know, it was basically bollocks. I don't know how to put it in a more diplomatic term than that. And it was looking at youth e-cigarette use, and like I, I don't know. I don't know why the, the the Surgeon General would be ideological or biased in any of the ways that you you're kind of like alluding to. Like it, it just seems like it's really bad research. It's it's it could be could be all it comes down to. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Like it's it's hard to know what what angle and what reason they're taking for that. This is the same Surgeon General, just for the listeners at home, that that released the famous report in um, I forget what year in the 1960s that confirmed that yes, smoking is harmful. Right. Um, and now they're they've released a report basically suggesting that e-cigarettes are, are harmful without considering any of the offsets or anything we, we like that. We could probably speculate on people's motivations for a while, but we're not going to do that because we do have uh, Greg Denham in the studio and we'll be speaking with him shortly, Executive Director of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum um, and a big player in the push for a medically supervised injecting centre in uh, Melbourne, in North Richmond. We're going to be talking to him shortly, uh, but right now I want to play you a bit of uh, Sun Monks. Uh, Sun Monks is uh, two parts. One part, um, a guy whose name I don't remember and the other part is uh, OPU um, who's famous for his breakbeats across the world uh, this is In the Trees on 3CR Community Radio in Psychedelia
have a community event or campaign you'd like to announce on radio? Maybe your group would like to take a tour of 3CR and find out how community radio works. Are you in a band and would like to record a demo? Or maybe there are people in your workplace or activist organisation who would like to undergo media skills training. 3CR is a resource for the community and offers community announcements, station tours, studio hire and media skills workshops at affordable prices. For more information, contact 3CR on 9419 or go to our website www.3cr.org.au. City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. Limits. Nothing but 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. My name's Nick, this is in Psychedelia. Uh, we have Ash uh, in the studio and also Executive Director of the Yarra Drug and Health Forum, Greg Denham. Um, but before we get into a chat, I just want to uh, quickly say that uh, Ralph, uh, a uh, 3CR presenter who does a number of shows, uh, just popped in to mention that it is uh, with... with uh, uh, with uh, not breathing, it's a little bit more com- uh, com- complicated. And he men- mentioned hypoxia, uh, which is uh, caused by um, too much carbon dioxide. Is uh, it a lack like- of production of carbon dioxide, which triggers the breathing reflex or something? Yeah. I think he said. Not so. That this I'm was on that <laughs> this was um, this was in relation to what we're talking about with nitrous oxide. Um, the main point being that uh, breathing is important. It's not just oxygen. There's a number of uh, number of chemicals in the air, and you need that uh, that careful balance. When you mess with that balance, you get all sorts of different reactions uh, and different things going on. There was actually just uh, on a final note as well uh, an interesting documentary with um, Michael Mosley. He's a UK mm. documentarian, um, and he did a documentary on uh, the most effective way to kill people. Uh, he was talking to uh, people that, ha- uh, well, states that use um, the the death penalty, and he was saying, "Oh, well, let's find the most humane way." And uh, they were not actually that keen on that. Apparently, they like to have uh, vengeance and pain uh, in their processes. But uh, Michael Mosley found that the best way is through um, just giving people straight oxygen because people don't even know they're slipping away. So there you go. That's a, a little scary, but <laughs> that's uh, that's what it is. Greg, welcome to Encyclopedia. Hi, Nick. How are you going? <laughs> Good. Now, um, you've had a busy uh, month and a bit, haven't you? Yeah, I was just thinking, actually. It's it's really hard to know what order everything's happening in because there is so much happening at the moment around <clears throat> the injecting facility debate in North Richmond. And, uh, look, it, it's been quite frantic. And, um, and look, it's, it's progressing really well. We've had, um, you know... Uh, the recent announcement of a parliamentary inquiry, um, and that looks like it's going to kick off soon. Terms of reference, I don't think have been developed yet, but we know it's going to go for six months, so they'll be handing down their findings in September. Excellent. So, um, and this has been brought about because of the legislation that was tabled by by Fiona Patton from the Sex Party, and um, <clears throat> that was a that was an interesting afternoon. I couldn't get to the Parliament House to actually um, hear it being presented, so. Um, but I had heard that uh, in the in the background, you you do hear sometimes things that are going on that it was going to be, um, I guess, um, not not voted down straight away. That mm. it was going to be um, 
you know, a inquiry um, set up for this legislation. So, so now we've got another six months of advocacy and other activities around, um, you know, obviously promoting the need for this. So, yeah. So just to bring uh, our listeners up to date, uh, for those that um, haven't been keeping up to date with um, the, the acronym that's being used now is MSIC, MSIC, or the Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, which I've incorrectly called the Melbourne Supervised <laughs> Injecting Centre, but no, uh, Medically Supervised Injecting Centre. Uh, what, what's what been going on over the past month for those that haven't been keeping up with the debate? Well, well look, it's been going on for a long time as you know mm. and uh, I guess uh, at the end of last year there was a coronial inquiry into the death of a young woman <clears throat> who overdosed in the uh, toilets at Hungry Jack's in Hoddle Street and uh, she passed away and the coroner Jackie Hawkins um, called for submissions into what could have been done to prevent that death and a number of agencies Yarra Drug and Health Forum and others Made submissions. There was a extensive, um, you know, a number of a number of um, submissions um, submitted, and uh, there was five agencies that were called to give evidence: um, Yarra Drug and Health Forum, Burnett Institute, and the um, director, the medical director from the the uh, medically supervised injecting centre in Sydney, Marion Johnson, gave evidence. The um, director of the North Richmond Community Health Centre, and also the Department of Health. So. All the evidence was tabled, and um, <clears throat> so the the coroner um, handed down her findings. It was around, oh, I think it was around the twentieth of February, maybe maybe a bit sooner than that, maybe a week a week before that. But um, but basically, she has made three recommendations. One of which is to trial a supervised injecting facility in North Richmond to stop these overdose deaths. So since then. The legislation has been tabled and there's been certainly a significant amount of media attention around that issue. So there's been uh, both um, press, um, newspaper reports, and um, there's been obviously a lot of attention in the radio and also on television as well. So the um, Herald Sun has been very supportive and I think that that's, I think that's a key factor in all of this, that I know they give um, sometimes a polarised view, uh, but certainly in terms of the overall message is that this is badly needed and we know that. So to have their support is, is a significant bonus in, in this advocacy mm. you know um, I think I think that's approach. an important um, important thing for all activists to remember um, that especially when you've when you've sort of got uh, a lot of people that are sort of uh, uh, on your side already to, to understand the issue and be across it you really need to be able to aim further and even though you're not going to you're not going to win a hundred percent agreement with people that you generally disagree with about a lot of things but you can find some common ground and it might uh, be uh, the difference between a slightly worse off situation and slightly better off situation so if you can get that better off situation that's a little victory little victories lead to big victories eventually and um uh, I've, I've been surprised like for all the for all the herald sudden bashing that um uh i know a lot of people uh, a lot of people that i know um and perhaps myself included engage with um I do notice that there are there are some good journalists working there. I think we need to remember that um, journalists, although they've, they've got the editor above them asking them to write certain things, they're not always going to do that. And sometimes the editors aren't always being just evil. There is sometimes uh, good stories to be told, and it's good to good to see that they're um, uh, supporting that, along with a number of other. I, I think it's um, had quite a lot of um, exposure over the past uh, month and a half. So it really feels like it's going to change soon, that we're finally going to see after three decades, or just about three decades, 
that we will see a supervised injecting centre. Is that Yeah, look, I think so. We're very confident. And um, you mentioned the International Narcotic Control Board uh, before, and they've just released their 2000, 2016 annual report. And within that, there is uh, two paragraphs on uh, supervised injecting facilities. Now, they traditionally have been very much opposed to injecting rooms. Now, I know the way they've worded these paragraphs is very much about, well, if we can show that these supervised injecting rooms actually get people into treatment and they reduce the harms of drugs to these people and they don't promote drug use and you know all of that all sort the of usuals, yeah. the usual <laughs> stuff then okay then they may have some value which is a long way from where they were 10 years ago so you know slowly we are seeing globally a big movement a big change in attitudes around those types of programs and i also think too that you know we talked before about pill testing, I, th I think there is some, some movement, some change in that as well. So, look, I'm, I'm quite buoyed by it all. I'm quite confident that we will get some policy change. Um, it is slow progress and it's very difficult though, and I've done this on numerous occasions, walked down to North Richmond and, and spoken to people who, you know, com complain about the drug market and, and, and <clears throat> recognise that just, just a law and order approach isn't going to fix, fix the issue. But we 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 do we do talk to people down there and overwhelmingly you know the people down there are on side you know they the traders the residents um you know the the people that are there at, kind of at the coalface alcohol and drug workers outreach workers etc um and, and i know i've spoken to police privately that support this so you know the the i guess the the build up to this has been over a number of years as we know but this time it's consistent and in the past we've had a bit of a little bit of a I guess a tidal wave and it's kind of died out um, and it's had its media had some media um, you know coverage but this time I think it's overwhelmingly become a tsunami and I think it's going to you know very much um, you know have have a significant impact and I'm pretty confident that we'll have it yeah. So um, <clears throat> at the Family Drug Support Day at mm. Parliament House um, uh, last week, Sunday, I think it was. I think it was. No, Sunday? it was last Thursday, Thursday oh, evening. Thursday, yeah. um, the, the Mental Health Minister, Martin Foley, made some announcements on the second and third recommendation of the coroner's court. Are you mm. kind of across the details? I'm of not that? across all of the details, but certainly there were some statements about naloxone um, yep. and also some peer outreach programs that they're going to fund. So... Yeah. Okay. I just so I, to... I think, but the issue about naloxone is interesting because I was also listening to ABC Radio earlier on in the weekend. Uh, I do listen to other radio stations. Um, <laughs> Plus <and> for me. <laughs> no, that's sorry. <laughs> and uh, someone rang up to, uh, John Fain and said, "Look, um, you know, we've just had all this money put towards naloxone, but if you go into a, a pharmacy and try and get naloxone, all you're going to get is a file which you have to um, inject. So a file of um, naloxone." The mini jets, which were mm. um, available, have been taken off the market. Mm. So, uh, and that's quite problematic. So, I, I, I'm going to speak with Burnett soon and find out what's going on because I think they were going to issue or they were going to start um, distributing nasal a nasal spray, which they have been trialling. Yeah. So, right. uh, I think it's great to have the money. It's fantastic that um, Martin Foley set aside this money, but we do need to have a system where if you need if you need naloxone, you can get it basically straight away. At the moment, you can get a um, you can get a prescription, uh, and, but someone else has to administer it, obviously. Mm. So um, even a person that works in an alcohol and drug agency cannot administer naloxone unless that person has a prescription on them and and the naloxone on them. Unless that person's a doctor, you just can't use it. 
Uh, you're listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855am digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au, which is the place to go if you want to find out more information about anything we're talking about on the show or to get in touch with us. Uh, right now, I also want to uh, introduce uh, Steph Janidi uh, from uh, DanceWise. Um, <laughs> you're behind the hat. Um, from uh, DanceWise, a program of uh, harm reduction Victoria, uh, Victoria's um, leading uh, drug user-based uh, harm reduction organization uh and uh steph i just wanted to introduce you here as well um uh, because we, we, we actually uh, there was something um that you were talking about mini jets now i'm not i'm not up to date on all the terminology what is a mini jet it's like an EpiPen. oh okay yeah, so it's, it's, it's all in one done but yeah. a vial you've obviously got one glass to break i assume it. you right. need to break it so and this often is more you, need to, you need to use more than one you right you need to use Two or three if a person's really quite affected by heroin. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. That seems seems a little bit um mm. a little bit silly. I don't know what are you doing there? Sorry, I've got the um, kiddo in the background just having a listen to the radio show. Um now uh Steph, uh, uh Danswise has been on the forefront of the uh uh pill testing debate. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything that you can update us with at the moment? It's sort of the nearly the end of festival season uh for Victoria. Uh, I wish there was more to update you on. Uh, there is no, there's no. Part- We're just going to adjust that microphone. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so my understanding of the situation in Victoria at the moment, at least as far as the Victorian government's concerned, is they're waiting for the outcome of the drug inquiry before they commit to any kind of reform. Um, but at the grassroots level, uh, a lot of people are occupying and informing themselves and utilising whatever is available, uh, namely the reagent pill tests. Um, so we, Dancewise, uh was at the Melbourne Uni Student Union and SSDP um, Orientation Week uh, where they had an event discussing harm reduction. So people are informing themselves about the issue. Uh, They're understanding more and more why we need to use such a harm reduction service like poo testing because it's an adulterated market out there. So yeah, on an official level, not much to report and on a grassroots level, it's thriving. But perhaps there is uh, something to touch on. Um, Harm Reduction Victoria puts out a uh, quarterly magazine called WAC Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, WAC Magazine uh, available from a number of AOD providers. It's also here in the 3CR foyer mm-hmm. if you want to drop in and grab a co- copy of WAC. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the issue, the recent issue? Yeah, sure. i just point out that it's also available online um, ah, as a flip book if anyone wanted to look up um, hrvic.org.au and check out WAC. Um, the recent edition was dedicated to the parliamentary inquiry just prompting people to think about the ways that they could contribute to um, either an an organisation like Harm Reduction Victoria's submission or um, it's also a bit of a how-to guide if um, people wanted to uh, do their own group submission or an independent submission. Excellent. So there's a number of articles in there written by um, people involved with Harm Reduction Victoria. Ash has an article in there. What did you write about, Ash? Uh, I wrote about cannabis regulation. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so do pick up a copy. Uh, as I said, it is at the 3CR foyer as well as uh, online um, and at a number of uh, health service providers. Uh, just for a little bit more information on this uh, on this inquiry. Um, now, we're actually uh, we're going to get Will Tregoning from Unharm in New South Wales on the line in a tick, uh, but we might just uh, have a few messages from from 3CR before, so uh, so stick around. Uh, Steph, Ash, and Greg and uh, Nick. Um, talking to myself now, <laughs> and <laughs> we will have Will on the line shortly. Paper back writer. 
Are you a keen reader with an unpublished manuscript? want to be a writer or are you interested in how others have written their books? Listen to Jan Goldsmith speaking with authors and those in the writing business on Published or Not, 11.30 till noon on Thursdays and of course on 3CR. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Three CR Community Radio, eight five five AM digital and streaming at three cr.org.au. You're listening to In Psychedelia for about another ten minutes. Uh, we're touching on local drug issues. Uh, we've already touched on the medically supervised injecting centre. If people want to go and find more information about that, there is also a website, a campaign website that's been set up. Yes, sir. <clears throat> there is. Yep, and there's a um, you get there's a petition that's um, the, the Australian Sex Parties. Uh, distributing a petition that's going around. I think so, the, the Greens might have one too. There's a few yeah, petitions out there. There's yes. a few. Yeah, um, yeah. And the, the website, I think, is needlenightmare.com.org. Yeah, yeah, 60,000 needles, yeah, per year. And that's got a bit of information. And write letters. Write letters to you know local politicians, to the Premier, and to... Um, to people that are, you know, that are up there in Spring Street, you know, making these decisions. We want to change this this situation here. So, and we've also yeah. touched a little bit on uh, on pill testing um, and the number of uh, things going on uh, that people are people are um, uh, turning to reagent kits. Reagent kits are a sort of a um, uh, they're better than nothing, but um, they still have uh, many many issues. Um, but before we uh, stop on that issue, Will Tregoning, uh, director of Unharm in New South Wales. Um, maybe you can give us a little bit of an update on how things are looking in uh, in New South Wales. What's been going on there, Will? Hi, Nick. Hi, hi, everyone. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that we've been working on lately is, in fact, focused on Victoria, which is, of course, the inquiry that's happening in Parliament there, um, inquiry into drug law reform. Um, so, yeah, it's been it's been more more Victorian focused just in the last week or so. And what we're doing there uh, is a submission that combines policy analysis, research-based policy analysis with first-person accounts of the effects of current drug laws and also people's own descriptions of how reforms would have an impact on their life. For example, you know, one of the things you often hear about with pill testing is that people who don't support it tend to talk about it as if um, people who use illegal drugs aren't make, able to or even interested in making sensible decisions about their own substance use. And so I think that 
for politicians to be able to hear from from people who use prohibited substances themselves about how they'd respond to the use of those um, sorry how they'd respond to the kind of information they get through those kind of services will be really useful in uh, in, in shifting that debate. I imagine. Um, in, Oh, I was going to Sorry. quickly say, I imagine that um, whatever happens out of this Victorian drugs inquiry will, uh, it, especially if it's a positive thing, but um, it will have a roll-on effect for the other states, especially New South Wales. It will be useful uh, for those organisations lobbying for change there uh, to show that something has happened in Victoria and there's a lot of information there to, to draw on. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, these inquiries, I think, help to... Um, get people into the habit of assembling information and uh, uh, you know that responds specifically to the issues that are being raised, um, and that helps advocacy because it you know forces you to sit down and um, develop a clear position that then uh, becomes something to go and essentially share and negotiate around with other advocates. And I think that that's going to be really useful um, for you know outside Victoria as well. One of one of the other things that we've got. Um, coming up or in fact just launched is a new um, campaign platform that's aimed at the festival community called Festival Friends and that's just gone live today. Um, what Festival Friends is trying to do is being, bring a more uh, positive kind of framework to some of the campaigning around um, issues like pill testing. You know, one of the things that I think has really characterised that um, debate is a very negative way that we've seen many politicians and sections of the media respond to that kind of issue and the very negative perception that people have even about the kinds of people who go to music festivals. So we're really trying to push back against that and create a platform for campaigning within the festival community that has a positive framework um, at its you know, foundation and is connecting with the reasons why people go to parties, you know, to spend time with friends and to have a good time, but also then to use that as the basis for a kind of community activism um, within that scene. So you can check that out, festival-friends.org. There's a website up there, and you can also join the community. There's information about how to do that on the site. Sticking with the uh, conversation around festivals, I just wanted to come back to Steph while we've got her Mm -hmm. in the studio. Something that's been happening a lot more... Uh, over this summer is festivals starting to take on their own kind of harm reduction services. Do you want to maybe chat a little bit about what's been happening in that space, Steph? Yeah, sure. Um, So Dancewise is a program that does outreach at music festivals. Uh, We rely heavily on our incredible volunteers. Um, As much as we would love to be at every single party, uh, it's just not realistic. Um, And so uh, we want to encourage people to make sure they make harm reduction uh, provisions within their um, event plans. Uh, So there's more and more emphasis on um, having chill spaces at festivals next to a health provider. And we, uh, DanceWise staff, are keen to train um, these festival volunteers. We have a program uh, called Drug-Related First Aid. So we want to empower people with knowledge so that they can practice harm reduction autonomously. And is this something you see unharm getting involved in, Will? like helping to facilitate that kind of thing, or is it more political advocacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, Anham, obviously, we're very supportive of, of DanceWise, of course, and, in fact, the um, DanceWise resources form part of the Festival Friends um, website, so you can access what are, in my view, the best 
harm reduction resources in the world, and I'm not just saying that because Steph's on the on the call too. But <laughs> yes. um, they're absolutely fantastic resources. That um, what we've done is just make them a little bit more digitally shareable, and so they're all there on the, or not all of them. There's a selection that uh, on the site currently uh, that are set up for social media sharing. It's a fantastic set of resources. Unharm is not the service provider though, so we're supportive of, but very different from Dancewise's model. Um, we are an organisation for activists and advocates. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there is some crossover to mm-hmm. the extent that, you know, what we see is the role of the organisation is both political activism, but also helping to create the world as we want it, which is a world where people are able to take care of themselves and one another. And so there is a crossover to the degree that that's also something that Dancewise is enabling or helping people to do. But the ways that we do it are different. So Unharm isn't in a situation where it's being funded by government, for example. And so that means that there's more scope to be more critical of current policy and um, to do more of that activism around around policy reform. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time this afternoon on In Psychedelia, but uh, the conversation always continues online. You can find Unharm, you can find Dancewise, and you can find the Yarra Drug and Health Forum on social media and their respective websites as well. Uh, I believe there's a Yarra Drug Health Forum event coming up uh, soon, very soon. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, <laughs> it is tomorrow. Okay, who have you got speaking tomorrow? Uh, we've got um, Jacob Conway Smith, who's a student at Monash University, who's done some research around the cost of ambulance call-outs to Excellent. Yarra and uh, looked at it from, I guess, <clears throat> an economic argument perspective as to how, what would be saved in terms of fun, um, funding for ambulances if um, we had an injecting facility. ydhf.org.au And I'd just like to say a big welcome to any new les- listeners from SSDP uh, and congratulations to all the students that had tables out at O-Week. We had students across uh, New South Wales and Victoria and ACT handing out resources and encouraging people to get involved. Thank you to Steph, uh, Greg and Will for coming on the program today and to Ash as always uh, uh, for helping present in Psychedelia. Uh, more information available on the website and on social media. Queering the Air is up next uh, on 3CR and don't forget as well it is International Women's Day all day broadcast this Wednesday the 8th of March. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. See you later. This is in Psychedelia. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, DirectLine provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. In Psychedelia, we'll be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. You've been listening to a 3CR community radio podcast of Encyclopedia. Find us on Facebook and Twitter.